0: Hello and welcome to this episode of Pensions Cast, a podcast where we discuss topical pension issues being faced by companies, pension scheme trustees and pension scheme members. I'm Raj Modi, a partner at PwC, working with our clients here in the UK and around the world on a wide range of pension issues really pleased to have with me in the studio today a number of guests. I'm joined today by Steve Kirkpatrick, who is head of pensions in the UK for PwC and a lead M&A advisor. Matt Cooper, who leads PwC's advice to pension scheme sponsors and trustees on a different kind of transaction where you're looking to transfer defined benefit pension schemes into different types of vehicles, consolidators, super funds, other kinds of funding solutions. And also delighted to welcome Michael Clark, Chief Executive Officer of the Pension Super Fund, which is lining up to be one of those consolidator options in the market. Welcome to you all. Um, We were hoping today to explore uh, the love-hate relationship, if you like, or the, the Jekyll and Hyde perspectives, which we think there are, around defined benefit pension liabilities and private equity in particular, private equity's interest or not in defined benefit pension liabilities. I'm going to start, Steve, with your angle, which is private equity's role when it comes to trying to do deals with companies, typically buying companies, that have defined benefit pension liabilities. I think it's fair to say M&A activity in that kind of space increased quite sharply in 2021. I'm sure you'll go into why. At the same time, I think the existence of DB liabilities in an M&A situation can cause some problems for private equity. I think that's fair to say as well. So tell us, give us a bit more context, Steve. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah. So hi, Raj. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, like in terms of a love-hate relationship, my experience working with PE guys is, is probably more on the on the hate side. I have to say, when they're buying and selling companies, so no 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 doubt about it. Twenty twenty one was a was, was a big year for M and A. Lots of factors driving that. So so money was cheap, interest rates were low, um, companies had a, a lot of change in the agenda. COVID's meant that um, businesses need to need to pivot their strategies, um, and and fundamentally, growth's been low. Okay, so so if you want to grow, uh, like inorganic growth has been a good option, um, and, and particularly for private equity, a- asset prices have been quite low. Stock markets took a hit. Uh, that meant it was reasonably cheap to buy to buy businesses over twenty twenty one. So you saw private equity really at the at the fore of buying and selling. Um,
0: and why? And so take us dr- drill down a level into the. Uh, that, that's where they were at the fore of that activity. Drill down a, for us into a level around. The problems of the pension scheme itself.
1: Why going it's so difficult? Yeah. yeah, sure. So, 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 there are a number of things. I mean, fundamentally, my experience with private equities is is what they're looking for. Um, to some extent, is certainty around their investment. They want to build conviction about the investment case, uh, and and defined benefit pensions and bring, by definition, lots of uncertainty. Now there's particular uncertainty around how you might price a, a DB pension scheme into a transaction. Lots of DB schemes have shortfalls, there's no sort of consensus really in a transaction about how that shortfall should be priced into business valuation, so so that can cause um, uh, difficulties in negotiations. Um, a really fundamental uncertainty for private equity is that um, A leveraged deal, lots of secured debt is going to affect the covenant um, for the pension plan. Uh, And it's unclear at the time the private equity house is trying to make that investment. Very often it's unclear how the pension scheme is going to react. Um, So that makes it hard for them to model. Um, and then we have all the changes. I mean, we won't go into it, but all the changes, pensions act, and whatnot, with the regulatory changes around things. So, so it just creates uncertainty, and, and that is hard for for the PE guys. Yeah, and when you say uh,
0: it's hard to predict how the pension scheme will react, and I may just bring Michael in on this. I think you specifically mean the pension scheme trustees as well as the as the fiduciaries there of, of being responsible for the pension schemes, and in fact dealing with what you referred to the new. Regulation in the shape of the Pension Schemes Act, which came in in 2021. I mean, Michael, you, uh, notwithstanding your current role, you've also seen this through uh, different vantage points, including being uh, in house in a corporate. But what what's your perspective on on DB schemes and the management issues that go with them?
2: Well, thank you for inviting me. I think just building on what Steve has said around uh, how sponsors perceive pension schemes, you look at the cost of just managing it in terms of resources and management time, you know, that's becoming disproportionate relative to managing other aspects of the business or indeed the balance sheet. You know, if you think that that so much corporate activity has now been outsourced to third parties for whom it's a core competence and they deliver the benefits of scale and continuous improvement, more sponsors are looking at, should they be managing their own pension scheme?
0: Yeah, I mean, okay, so between the two of you so far, you're painting, as you said, Steve, a reasonably good hate relationship when it comes to at least private equity and M a situations and DB liabilities just before we move into is there another perspective around all of this I mean what what else what we, we said we won't go loads into the pension schemes act but that does bring with it criminal offenses so that's more on people's minds. What about the sort of economic situation? Just any more to say on that? In terms of you talked to briefly about valuations and deficits, is it worth just touching on that?
1: Yeah, I think it's worth saying that that, that things have changed quite a lot. Probably, you know, in the last six months, so, so obviously the macroeconomic environment is is very different. Um, rates rates have shot up, interest rates have shot up, so has inflation. Um, net net. What I'm skiing, seeing is that schemes that didn't hedge hard are seeing like quite big improvements to their funding levels. Actually, so v- versus some of the pain that was in the system in 2021, a lot of pension schemes are clearly better funded. Um, having said that, for private equity, where where the where the, the way those transactions happen is all around debt and and leveraged um, secured debt, the price of that debt is, has gone up. Um, so what I'm seeing with the transactions I'm working on is the financial position of the pension scheme is better, but I'm seeing a higher level of concern from pension trustees about the interest costs that businesses will face and what that will mean for the Covenant sort of over time. So I think the the, the environment has changed and that's changed the conversation a little bit that I'm seeing at the moment. Yeah,
0: well, Matt, I, mean, I was gonna come to you actually, Matt, because that point Steve said about the, while there are issues like interest cost, interest cost uh, b- being higher, the financial health of pension schemes, actually if anything lately has improved for various reasons you can go into. I'm just wondering as a bridge to get into the other side of the relationship with DB liabilities, how does that affect the kind of market you look at when it comes to getting these schemes into you know third party type vehicles, consolidators or otherwise?
3: well I, I really do agree with that point that the conversation that I am having with pension scheme trustees and sponsors, is really different to the conversations we were having six, 12 months ago. Um, we have seen these quite um, dramatic changes in financial markets. Um, as Steve said, significant increases in interest rates, um, inflation as well, and that's another key factor in the valuation of pension liabilities. Um, but it's really, really specific to the individual pension schemes and the asset strategy that they were running um, prior to these um um, economic changes coming into effect those schemes that were actually quite under hedged they have probably seen the biggest improvement in funding level um, and schemes that by the nature of their benefits have caps on how those benefits increase relative to inflation maybe have not been as impacted by um, the sort of the, the significant rise in inflation we've seen over the first half of the year but I agree Raj that for the majority of cases Pension schemes are in a much better funding position than they were previously. And that, if anything, is creating more opportunity to explore these different sorts of solution.
0: So let's look at that in more detail. I mean, it's worth saying that our own pensions funding index, where we track the aggregate funding status of the universe of UK pension schemes, just over 5,000 current defined benefit pension schemes also shows a really significant surplus. Now, you need to be careful with aggregate numbers, because obviously there's risk in that. There'll still be some schemes in there, clearly in deficit, but the majority, without question on the measures they use for themselves, are showing a surplus, sometimes a significantly healthy surplus. However, um, uh, the government has also made this point as well, that 5,000 pension schemes, separate entities all with their own governance, is that really the most optimal model? The government's talked about consolidation of the market, you know, into fewer, larger schemes. So, Michael, that does segue, I think, hopefully neatly into what you and the Superfund or the Superfund style consolidator market is all about. Can you just uh, elaborate on that a bit, please? You know, wh- why has this suddenly come about as a new market relative to the plain vanilla style of buying and buyout that we've seen for years and years?
2: I suppose like any new product coming to the market, there's a demand for it. We, we see a gap in the market in terms of solutions. Um, we think the consolidators will bring a, a more flexible alternative to buyout and, and bringing better value for money with high levels of government, governance. Um, we see the regulator has set a high bar for us in terms of financial securities. You know, so they've, they've mandated that we central to all we do is, is this 99% probability of being fully funded over five years. It's a high bar. It's equivalent to, to, to what we insure, see insurers having to meet. Um, we have to, to adhere to very high standards of governance and, and indeed the regulator has told us so. They expect us to be, um, to be setting best practice in terms of governance. And of course, through consolidation, uh, we offer a number of schemes, wider access to to the investment universe and and the synergies that come with that. But perhaps, and this is germane with our model, perhaps the one thing that we are saying is that the upside that we can actually create from this consolidation, we'll share with members in the form of a, a member bonus, which I think brings us back to what we had 20 years ago in the industry, where that was something that people aspired to, and, and we hope to bring that back.
0: Yeah, and in fact, the rates of inflation we're seeing at the moment is making some corporates, even that, that have well-funded schemes, think about discretionary pension increases, which was a feature of the 1990s, but we've not really seen that since. Matt, Michael said that there's demand in the market and outlined features of what appears to be a really viable option, an alternative for pension schemes slightly unfair question perhaps, but why have there not been loads of transactions of this kind so far? And I'll, I'll have Michael come in on his point of view about that in a second, but yours first, please, Matt.
3: Well, I think it is very fair to say that it has been a very long road to get to where we are. Um, I remember writing a response to the government consultation on consolidation back in 2018 which talked about these solutions and and here we are today still waiting on that first Superfund transaction. ISO takes huge comfort from the rigour and the time that the regulator has spent creating this regime and building this trust in the industry Um, This is pensions. These are people's livelihoods in retirement. Um, We need to hold providers to a very high bar um, and the industry will look for proof of concept. It will look for trust in order to allow these transactions to take place. And initially in what is a new industry in its infancy that trust will have to come from a robust regulatory regime under which we can rely. The pensions regulator itself has set a a series of gateway tests to assess ultimately if members will be better off in these new vehicles the regulator require pension scheme trustees and sponsors to go through a process where they will get effectively assessed and clearance on these transactions that in itself will create some initial challenges you know these haven't been done before advisory costs for the first transactions will be high it's not like the traditional buy-in, buy-out market, which is a well-trodden path. Also, a feature I'm seeing right now is it's hard for trustees and sponsors to make decisions in this level of market volatility. A number of my clients who I've been working with looking at super funds have benefited from improved in, in funding positions, and now they're exploring other options as well. That said, there are other schemes out there where before super funds haven't looked like they would be a appropriate solution, but now their funding levels are coming to a state where they should be explored.
0: So, yeah, Michael, I, there's, there's a lot there to go for, there is a going, lot of reasons why these deals are difficult to do. What, what do you think?
2: Go, going back to your question in terms of why is it taking so long, I think one word, in, inertia. Um, I, I do think that group groupthink is endemic in the pensions industry. Um it's not a bad thing. I think it's helped us mitigate against some of the bad practices um, and, and it's really raised the level of professionalism. But at the same time, I think it's bred inefficiencies. And, and if you think back to at the start, we were talking about private equity investors looking at, at at the use of capital. They see us as very inefficient users of capital. Now, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. We have to protect member benefits. So, so we're not in the same frame of mind of that. But I suspect there are areas where we could things better in terms of capital. And, and this is one area where we really are looking to take a longer term perspective around um, the use of pension fund assets to, to actually release that surplus back to members. I mean, we were talking about hedges earlier on. And I think one of the things that we've seen, uh, this recent volatility has shown how efficient or not people's hedges have been. We look at uh, how we account for them in valuations. We're very prescriptive you know, gone are the days when we think of long-term real assets providing a, albeit in de- indirect but a good long-term hedge for inflation. So you know, we've seen some volatility that shouldn't have been there simply because you couldn't hedge some of these risks.
0: And just talking about capital, because I did want to bring this background, if possible, to that idea of capital, that on the one hand, Steve's talked about private equity-backed acquisitions being quite problematic when it comes to defined benefit, pension liabilities. On the other hand, we're talking about Uh, providers with capital deliberately coming into this space, albeit because they think there's a play around the efficiencies of consolidation or whatever it might be. But I just want to bring that contrast out. So Matt, I think you've previously told me some statistics around the market. So certainly if we look back to 2020, this wasn't a very Uh, fulsome and popular market, maybe certainly in terms of alternatives even to the types we've been talking about, alternatives to insurance and alternatives to consolidators, there was maybe one other, call it third-party capital provider out there that was interested in doing variations of deals like this. Now in 2022, you're telling me that there are more than five quoting for this kind of business. How much capital is behind this kind of new industry?
3: Well it's, I think this is a very fast growing space and as you say that the number of um, providers looking to effectively put up capital to underwrite investment returns for pension schemes um, seems to be increasing every week um, but based on the work we've done there's around two billion of capital now um, pledged for these types of transactions and and that broadly equates to supporting 20 billion of pension scheme liabilities.
0: Right, because the 2 billion is just a buffer on top mm-hmm. of the existing pension scheme asset and liability profile. So with 2 billion of extra buffer capital, mm-hmm. you can do you can touch quite a bit of the market in terms of pension liabilities. But if I just bring Michael in, though, because you're on the other side of this equation, whether that number is quite right or growing anyway, what type of return... Given all the difficulties that go with, with defined benefit liabilities, what type of return are people behind these types of organizations expecting?
2: I, I would think within that two billion, we probably have to differentiate between the, the capital providers that, that back startups, and we think of our own um, structure, and also uh, Clara, the, the, the other scheme. Um, you have capital providers that are willing to invest in a startup, and I think that capital is more risk capital to set it up. Um, once you get up and running, uh, you need a lot more capital to come in to support these deals. And I think that that more vanilla capital that's just looking to support these perhaps lower risk investments, uh, the, the, the rates of return that have been offered there are quite likely to be much lower than the initial providers. I don't want to go into particular detail, but my sense is that you could see similar rates of return on some of these assets in an in insurance company. And I think though that will be assessment that the capital providers are, are making around this.
0: Right, so that makes sense. There's a different kind of return or return expectation, depending on where you're at in the life cycle of these kinds of ideas. If you're at the more speculative end, you want a higher return. When you get to a more established process, you might get a more, call it conventional return. Maybe just coming back, Michael, because we only touched on this briefly, about the, the likelihood or viability of these solutions happening. Matt talked about the very careful regulatory assessments that are going on. Does that concur with your experience?
2: Absolutely. Um, we've spent a lot of time and had a lot of um, uh, regular engagement with the regulator. And as you can imagine, they are going through all of our constitutional documents, policies, uh, in, in fine detail. And we have to answer a lot of questions. And we have to demonstrate that, that, that we are meeting best practice. But the area of engagement that's really impressed me with the regulator is, is some of the strategic discussions we've had. They certainly see this as a large part of the pensions landscape and often they'll preface some of their comments about when consolidators get to scale, what is the landscape going to look like? What is the governance going to look like? So it's clear that they're thinking not just about individual schemes, but actually as the market develops.
0: Interesting. So Steve... Let's as we're painting a picture of the future, let me bring you back in as it relates to MA. We are at the early stages of this, but if we see a future where this is part of the regular landscape of the pensions industry, what happens to MA? I mean, do you not just see, you know, why wouldn't companies even contemplating MA or being an MA target transfer their schemes to a consolidator? Do we see a rapid reduction from the 5000 dB schemes into a significantly smaller number and does that completely change the way that M&A is done forever?
1: Well I can definitely see it becoming uh, a, a big part of the conversation so if you think about sort of buying and selling a company if you're on the if you're on the sell side if it, particularly if you're private equity you know you're bringing a company to the market I suppose the decision you've got to make there is do you think that you will get a smaller price chip um, and selling selling the pension scheme with the business if you like or is it worth removing the pension scheme from the balance sheet to try and get a better price for that company and um, the timing is going to be important there um, how long will it take to get, get it off the balance sheet um, and, and really it's a question of uh, pricing um, if schemes are better funded uh, PE guys might feel they can get the company away without a price chip having said that you know like we talked before um, buyers don't like DB pension schemes because they bring lots of uncertainty um, so I think there'll be that play there um, and on the buy side I can see private equity once they've once they've picked up a company with a DB pension scheme, and they're thinking about how to manage that um, that pension scheme over the holding period that they have, I can see them wanting to look at all options to, to add value. So, so I definitely see it part of the conversation.
0: Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? A number of us, well, all of us around the table have worked in pensions for a number of years, and you think you've seen all the innovations you could see, but actually probably the next decade or two will be possibly the most innovative in the pensions industry that any of us have seen. So there's lots to look forward to there. Well, look, thank you, Steve, Michael and Matt for joining me for that discussion today. I hope you found that interesting listening on the other end of it. Please let us know your feedback as ever. Our contact details are in the show notes and we'll be very happy to get back to you personally. Please also let us know your ideas that you'd like to hear us discuss uh, in future episodes. It's always nice to hear from the real world out there after we've done one of these tucked away in our soundproof studio. Um, If you'd like to find out first when future episodes of Pensions Cast drop, then as they say, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Please subscribe anyway. We're always keen to welcome a growing audience. Thank you for listening to Pensions Cast. Goodbye for now.